Hey everyone, welcome back to In Her Wallet, a weekly show helping women around the world take control of their finances for good and build better financial futures one episode at a time. My name is Sophia. I'm the host and creator behind In Her Wallet podcast and an accredited investment representative here in Canada. December 7th is my birthday, and so this week I really wanted to create something special to celebrate together with you guys, my In Her Wallet community. I've been brainstorming for some time on what the format and topic of this episode should be, and I landed on the idea of creating an episode about the eight money lessons I've learned thus far before turning 28. I moved to Canada at the age of 17 on my own, and so I've learned quite a bit about managing my own money for the past 10 years since I didn't really have anyone to rely on, but also from reading books, studying economics in the university, working in the wealth management sector, getting an official accreditation in the investment management space, and also through general trial and error. And so today I want to share with you the eight money lessons I've learned thus far that are based on all of these experiences. They will be great for anyone in their 20s and 30s, and they're based on what I had done well and some of the things I wish I had done differently in my journey. Before we get into it, guys, if you do feel like you get any value from listening to In Her Wallet podcast, I would so appreciate if you took the time to leave us a star rating and a review. You can do that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts app. All you have to do is scroll all the way down, click write a review, click five stars if you feel like we've deserved it, and write a review. Honestly, it can be long or short. You can tell me how you're resonating with current content, the guests you want to see, the topics you want me to explore in future episodes. I take all of it seriously, and it honestly just helps me show up as a better host for you. Well, with that, let's dive into today's episode. Lesson number one is to pay yourself first. This is not just a catchy phrase. It's a fundamental principle for smart money management that I wish I applied to my life sooner. You see, I started getting my first paid jobs when I was in my second year in university, but I started intentionally saving a portion of my income only one year after I graduated and have been working full-time. So realistically, I have missed out on five years of savings in my life. I want to illustrate this point with my own example because I understand that it's very easy to prioritize your bills, your expenses, the latest trends over your own financial well-being in the hustle and bustle of everyday life. And so what really shifted my mindset was reading a book called The Richest Man in Babylon when I was already working in the wealth management sector. It taught me that allocating a portion of my income to savings before anything else is key to building long-term wealth, no matter what the size of your salary is. And all of a sudden, I started thinking about my savings account as a time-traveling companion that will assist me in case of any challenges or opportunities in the future. And that was exactly the case when I realized that I no longer want to build my legacy through a corporate career in the finance industry. I wanted to build a legacy through creating a product for women like myself who need help with building wealth, which is what 
I noticed the financial industry wasn't doing really. And that was exactly when my savings account came into play. It helped me navigate the transition from corporate world to being on my own when I was ready to pursue this cool opportunity that I was super excited about. At first, I will be honest, it was hard to transfer anything into savings because I was living from paycheck to paycheck and I didn't know if there's even any money left for me to pay myself. But after I saw how my savings account was growing month after month, it almost became like this addicting thing. It made me feel so good and secure to see that I have this extra money on the side that can serve me in case anything happens, in case I need this money. And so if you're listening to this episode and you're like the old Sophia who didn't prioritize paying herself first, let this be your sign to change that today. Moving on, lesson number two states, don't wear your money. And here's what I mean by that. I grew up in a relatively small town in Russia. And so I wasn't really used to seeing people wear branded clothes until I moved to Canada. In university, I was of the belief that if you wear Gucci, Prada, Fendi, Louis Vuitton, you must have a large bank account. And then I graduated and started working for the largest private investment management company. I was working directly with our clients, those people who have net worth of $5 million and more. And what was eye-opening to me was that very few of these people wore any branded items. And that's when I kind of caught up to the idea that if you have significant wealth, actually, you might have a few branded items here and there. And then there are people who have some money, but they want to pretend they have way more than that. They would actually substitute for the lack of money by wearing branded items to create that illusion. And after being around people who actually have significant net worth, I know that they don't even want you to know that they have any significant wealth. So they can wear a cashmere sweater that's worth $5,000 from Brunello Cuccinelli, but you would never know that because you'd think it's a regular sweater. Now, one of my favorite money quotes says, most people stay poor to look wealthy instead of leaving poor to be wealthy. And I'm not telling you to live a poor life. I don't believe in that either. You know, I love a good leather purse from Chanel. I love a nice pair of heels from Jimmy Choo's. And with time, I came to learn that you can invest in these pieces. You can take good care of them and they will last you many years to come. But what I came to learn is that you should avoid to be the type of person who is running after latest trends and covering themselves up in Gucci, Fendi, Prada logos, because that either right away means that you're trying to create an illusion of being wealthy or you simply don't have taste. The next lesson that I want to say I learned thus far is to manage your emotions before you manage your money. I know firsthand about how emotions and our personal finances often collide, especially during times of market downturn. I've lived through a pretty cool experience while I was working in the wealth management sector. It was March 2020. COVID just started. The shutdowns all over the globe were starting. There was a lot of uncertainty happening. And so we were getting so many calls on the daily basis from our clients panicking and asking to sell their investments, asking for cash, 
because they were driven by fear. It was honestly like out of the movie. And I'm so grateful for that experience because I saw firsthand how rational thinking always prevails in any situation. To give you an idea of what was happening actually in that month, the S&P 500 dropped by 30%. And our role as investment advisors was to help our clients manage their emotions and put into perspective the fact that the governments will step in, they will create some form of help to stabilize the economies, the vaccines will be developed. And this is what actually happened. So those who actually stayed in the market, they were able to make more money because instead of just recovering to its initial point where the stock market was, it actually reached a new all-time high by the end of that same year. And so even though I never made a mistake as such, observing this scenario unfold firsthand working in the financial company, I now know that you should always avoid impulsive decisions driven by fear or excitement. And you should always take time to analyze the situation objectively. The next lesson I want to share with you, lesson number four, is you don't want to be rich, you want to be free. I find that most people confuse the fact that making money will make them happier because they might finally afford a shopping spree on Rodeo Drive or purchasing a private jet. But in reality, the highest form of wealth is the ability to wake up every morning and say, I can do whatever I want today. I first read about this concept in the book called The Psychology of Money. And then I just started noticing how it is true with the people that surround me. Even though happiness is a complicated subject that is different to everyone, I think we all want to initially reach certain level of wealth to make us happy. But the most common denominator in happiness is the ability to control your own life. It's the ability to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, and for as long as you want. If you listen to In Her Wallet podcast, you know that whenever we have guest experts joining us, and when I ask them what financial freedom means to them, this is one of the most common answers that I get. Freedom of your time, the options you get, and the things you can do is the highest dividend that your money and income will pay you. I think one of the ways to apply this to your life is to think about your financial goals. Yes, when we're talking short-term, it can be buying a home, buying a car, but in the long run, it should be the pursuit of financial freedom to maximize control over your life, to increase flexibility in your daily schedule, to not be dependent on your 9-to-5 employment to pay the bills. And even if you are in your early 20s and thinking, oh, I have such a long way to go to get there, I want to tell you that you have the biggest competitive advantage to achieve financial freedom. It is time because if you maximize your investments and focus on building multiple income streams that allow you to work on your own terms, you'll get there sooner than anyone else. So that was lesson number four. My next lesson that I want to share with you says your job isn't safe. 
I know that in our 20s and 30s, it's so common to view employment as a stable and secure aspect of life. However, reality is that your job security hinges on someone saying yes to you, such as your employer, your manager, or even economic conditions. And a simple no from any of these three can hinder your career development and career trajectory. This inherent dependency means that you're essentially entrusting your financial well-being to external decisions, leaving you with limited control over your professional destiny. And so far, I've figured a few ways to go about this. First, I think to counter that uncertainty, we should focus on building a personal safety net that extends beyond our current job. This includes maintaining an emergency fund, which you know I always talk about here on the In Her Wallet podcast. It also includes acquiring new skills and constantly developing because we live in an ever-changing professional environment. And finally, it's networking within your industry, something we talked about last week with a guest expert on building personal brand online. I think these three elements collectively provide a great cushion in case you do face a challenging environment with your employment. If you want to take it a step further, I would also suggest thinking about adding an additional income stream to what you currently make, such as exploring a possibility of freelancing or creating a side hustle for yourself because that right away alleviates the pressure of your employer who provides you with a one and only income stream and helps you feel more independent. Moving on, I want to talk about lesson number six. It's to pay attention to your money, aka track it. By far, it's my favorite lesson. And here's what I mean by that. When I worked in the wealth management sector and was onboarding new clients, we always started with a discovery call, which included going over the information that client has, such as their assets, liabilities, the taxes they pay, their savings rate, if they have any investments, what their performance is, and so on. If I were to ask you all of these questions now, such as, What is the balance of your checking account? What is the balance of your credit card? What is your savings rate? How much taxes have you paid last year? Would you know answer to any of these? When I first asked myself these questions, to be honest with you, I didn't know the answers. I simply wasn't paying attention to my money. And the biggest boost I've ever had to how I feel about my money, to the decisiveness I have about asking for more money, was when I started tracking my spending, monitoring my accounts, and staying informed about my financial health. Knowledge in personal finance truly is power. And I'm of the philosophy that if you are aware of your financial situation, you'll be able to make informed decisions on a daily basis. And so if you do fall into the category of people who doesn't quite know answers to the questions I just listed, let this be your sign to sit down, spend half an hour of your time and figure it out. Trust me, if there is one thing that comes out from this experience, it's that you will feel more in control of your money. Even if there are some gaps, 
you will know where you now need to pay your attention. And if you need help, I would highly suggest going back all the way down to season one of In Her Wallet podcast and listening to episode number four, which talks about the five critical aspects of personal finance that you need to pay attention to. My next lesson, lesson number seven, is to invest with confidence, to take that first step, to pass over that fear, uncertainty, insecurity. I remember when I was still in university and my dad kept telling me to start investing in the stock market. I didn't grow up, to be honest with you, in a family where we invested in the stock market before, where my dad had shown me how it works. Back in Russia, it's not really common to invest in the stock market. And so my dad's advice came purely from a standpoint of knowing that investing is number one thing that helps you grow long-term wealth. He didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. And so I had all these questions in my head from how do I save up a couple thousand dollars to start investing to what is a stock? Do I find a place where I can practice first so I can avoid losing money? Is it something that like, you know, I need to constantly sit at the screen and look at or can I just do it passively? All of these questions were filling my head and Thinking to myself now, I understand that majority of them were actually investing myths that I understand are not true. And so I would end up in a spot where I was so overwhelmed with all of these questions that I didn't even proceed to taking any actual action. And to be honest with you, I didn't start investing until I started working in the wealth management sector myself, until I saw how actual real professionals with decades of experience do that. But when I made my first investment, when I opened that account, when I chose the stock I want to buy, when I clicked that buy button, there was one question left in my head. Why haven't I done it sooner? It seemed so simple. I was just lacking confidence this whole time. My lesson here is that you will never be 100% ready for anything. And oftentimes, all it takes is to just confront that fear of the unknown and just do it. With investing, time is crucial. And there is a reason why many people call compounding the eighth wonder of the world. Here's an example. I used the investment calculator and I basically said, if I had invested $1,000 in the total stock market index fund in 2013, so 10 years ago, without any additional contributions for the past 10 years, my money would have grown to almost 2,000. So it would have doubled itself on a conservative expectation of 7% annual return from the stock market. If I invested $1,000 in 2013 and additional $200 as a student every year after that, so I did an additional contribution, I would have close to $5,000 now with total gain of close to $2,000 just from the stock growth. And so the takeaway here is to remember that you don't need to be 100% ready. It is normal to feel fearful of losing money, but investing only works when you give your asset time to grow. I like to compare investing to planting trees. 
One year will not show much progress. 10 years can make a meaningful difference. And 50 years can truly create something extraordinary. So give yourself time and seek resources that help you gain confidence and feel supported, like in her wallet. My final lesson to you is to master negotiations. It truly is a skill that each of us needs to develop and be good at because there is one universal truth about money. If you don't ask for it, you won't get it. Our 20s and 30s are a crucial time to lay the foundation for a financially secure and fulfilling life. And your income earning capabilities are the key to that. For us women, we are often perceived as greedy and demanding We, when we're asking for a salary raise, something men rarely get described as when negotiating. In return, they're being seen as confident and strong. This money lesson comes from my personal experience of having to ask for a salary raise back during my corporate days. But truth be told, negotiations aren't just part of the corporate world. You can see negotiations everywhere, in personal relationships, during business deals, and even when shopping, such as when asking for a price match. That's why I think developing this strategic skill is necessary for all of us. And if I could go back to my corporate days, I would change something about my approach to negotiating. I would definitely come more prepared with knowing how much exactly I want and why. I would even seek professional outside help by a career counselor to explain to me what is the best approach to go about this. I would practice how to communicate to my counterpart why I deserve it. And back myself up with data on why this is actually a legit ask. Reality is, if you don't ask for more money, you will never get it. And so have high expectations of yourself and know you're deserving of it. And in return, ask accordingly. And there you have it. These are my eight money lessons learned before turning 28. If you feel like you've gained any value from listening to today's episode, I would so appreciate if you took the time to leave us a five-star rating if you feel like I've deserved it and a review. All of this helps In Her Wallet podcast grow and helps me show up as a better host for you. As always, I want you to give yourself credit for showing up for yourself and your future because every time you do that, you increase what's financially possible for you. I'll see you next week for our final episode of season two of In Her Wallet Podcast.